Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Yeah. And take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Find the frequency, yeah. tune in. Get a word with Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and welcome back to the Pastor's Office this Palm Sunday afternoon. Palm Sunday, where we celebrate Jesus and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, one of the last scenes of his earthly life. I got to tell you, we had an awesome time in worship today. We had an awesome time in worship today. The title of our message was A Reason to Shout. Uh, And if you look at the book of John and his telling of the uh, story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, he's the only one of the synoptic gospels that outlines that there were two crowds. Uh, There was a crowd that was coming with Jesus, and they, they had witnessed him raise Lazarus from the dead. And it says that there was a crowd waiting on him in Jerusalem because they had heard of the miracles that he had performed. And we go into great depth about reasons why we ought to shout about how good God has been to us. Man, I'm I'm ready to re-preach it again, but I'm not going to do that because that's not what we're in the pastor's office to do. We actually have a great show today. We have council member Helen Gim, who will be joining us after the break, to talk about an issue that I bet you didn't know was happening. Did you know that federal benefits that are allocated for foster children are going into the city's general fund? No, you heard what I said. Federal benefits for foster children are going into the city's general fund and never reaching the children. We're going to talk about that with Council Member Helen Gim uh, and legislation that she's put forward to try to end this practice. Uh, We'll be talking to her after the break. And then we're going to be talking with Sam Lemhenny, uh, who is the chief of shows and events for the Philadelphia Horticultural Society. Uh, We're going to be talking about the flower show, but, but we're also going to talk about the Philadelphia Horticultural Society. Uh, Did you know that they have a program where they go into areas of the city uh, that are suffering or have suffered urban blight and create green spaces? Green spaces help to reduce crime. Green spaces help people to more appreciate the space that they're living in, their place. Learned a lot about place in seminary. Uh, When people appreciate place, they take care of it. Uh, So we're going to talk to him about the flower show, but also about that little program that they're working on. But listen, I don't normally do uh, promotion uh, on this show, but I got to tell you something. Good Friday is on the way. Uh, April 15th, Good Friday. And there are going to be churches all over the city of Philadelphia uh, that are going to be 
having the last seven word sermons. You know what the last seven word services are. Uh, Seven preachers come together and and share the last seven words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Well, I want you to know that listeners of Philly Favor are not going to be overlooked because we are going to broadcast live a powerful last seven words words service on april the 15th at 7 p.m it's something i've wanted to do for the last two years and now with the pandemic moving on out normalcy returning we actually can do it now and i'm so excited can i tell you that i'm calling it over 260 years of preaching power in one pulpit i want you to join us next friday At 7 p.m., you're not going to want to miss this. Let me share with you the preachers that we have assembled to be a part of this live broadcast. Pastor James Moore of the Second Mount Zion Baptist Church in Philadelphia. Pastor George Smith of the First Baptist Church of Nicetown. Pastor Glenn Griffin of the Gibson Temple Baptist Church. Pastor Dr. J. Wendell Mapson, Monumental Baptist Church. Pastor Dr. Daly Barnes, 59th Street Baptist Church. You hear him right here every week on Philly's Favor on Saturday and Sunday. Pastor Emeritus J.A. Jones, the builder of the First Nazarene Baptist Church over in New Jersey, and Pastor Emeritus Joseph Daniels of the Emmanuel Institutional Baptist Church. My brothers and sisters, you are not going to want to miss this service. Next Friday, 7 p.m., live here on Philly's Favor, emanating from the sanctuary of the Northeast Baptist Church. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience to hear pastors who've been in this thing 30 years or more, some 50 years or more, that can preach a powerful word. And listen, if you want to attend in person, why don't you come on out? Northeast Baptist Church is located at 4744 Tacawana Street. In the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia, 4744 Tacawana Street, Frankfurt section of Philadelphia. I don't know about you, but I, I'd want to be in the place for this type of history that's going to happen on Friday, April the 15th uh, at 7 p.m. So you're welcome. If you want to give us a call at the church office, our number is 215-533-4648-215. 533-4648. Give us a call. We'll give you the information. But you know what? Make your way to the radio dial or make your way preferably to the sanctuary for one of the most powerful seven last word services you will ever have the opportunity to be a part of. Listen, our first guest will be with us right after these commercial messages. So, Philly's favorite listeners, I want to welcome into the pastor's office this Sunday our first guest. She's making her second appearance uh, here in the pastor's office. And I got to be honest with you, the issue we're going to discuss today, uh, it's confused me a little bit. I I think it's made me upset. But I'm not quite sure, Uh, and and I'm going to have our council member to give us clarity. Let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, In December of 2021, there was an investigation by an organization called Resolve Philly. 
Listen to what they found out in their investigation. It revealed that nearly $5 million in foster care youth's federal benefits have been collected by the city and put towards the city's general fund. And this is between the years of 2016 and 2020. I'm, I'm going to do this like I'm preaching. Can I say that again? Uh, uh, $5 million was collected by the city. These are federal benefits due to young people in foster care. And this money went into the city's general fund. I I need help. I got to figure this out. I got to understand what's going on. Now, let me share this before we bring in Council Member Gim. Uh, she, in March authored legislation for the council, a bill called Stronger Futures for Foster Youth Act. Stronger Futures for Foster Youth Act. And what this act would do is prohibit this practice I just spoke about from ever being done again. All right, are we all on the same page now? Okay, great. I'm going to bring in council member Helen Gim to bring some light to this issue and help us really understand what's going on. Council member Gim, welcome back to the pastor's office. Thank you so much, Reverend Mason, and we will need prayer for this one. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if I'm upset about this. I really am because the way I've read the information, I'm I'm kind of angry, uh, uh, but yeah. I, but I, I need you to calm me down because maybe there's something I'm not seeing. I just don't understand how benefits that were targeted towards youth in foster care. Let's stop right there. They're in foster care. They're already mm-hmm. not with their families. They're already not with the, the parents that gave birth to them for whatever reason. But as they're in foster care, they have federal benefits that are due them. And the city is collecting that money and putting it in the general fund. Please, Council Member Gibb, make it all make sense to me. Well, unfortunately, Reverend Mason, I can't do that. Um, I can only shed a light on why so many young people who are vulnerable in their lives are marginalized and disregarded all the way from the federal to the state to the local level. So... To be clear, um, it's actually even more upsetting than the way you laid it out. Um, About 20% of our, anywhere between 10 to 20% of children in foster care are are orphans. Um, They have, their parents have passed on and uh, they go into foster care um, as a result without next of kin that's readily available to them. Um, and a number of them also receive disability benefits um, from their uh, from their guardians. And this was a promise made by their family members who loved them that they would pass on these federal benefits to care for them. Um, this is not a small amount of money. This is almost a million dollars collected by the city of Philadelphia for several hundred youth. Um, over a period of time, it could amount to tens of thousands of dollars. Enough money to help get them a start a transition out of foster care into adulthood, promise post-secondary education, chance to put a down payment on, you know, a home or certainly to be able to afford an apartment to call their own. Um, and it is money that is due to them. But 
um, I want to make clear what what Philadelphia does is that it collects those benefits on behalf of those children and sweeps it into our general fund. Um, and the children and families not only often are unaware of this, but they're certainly not eligible to access it. Now, Philadelphia is not unique. I want to say that very clearly. This is not a problem with just Philadelphia. It happens all over the country. And in fact, in Pennsylvania, it's baked into the state law. The state law requires us to access federal benefits to reduce the amount of money that the state spends on on foster care youth. And then secondly, these are federal benefits, and the Federal Social Security Administration and um, other packages, they don't prohibit this practice, and they absolutely should, and they absolutely could. So all the way down from the federal government to the state to our own city, there are purposeful efforts to deny young people the promises that their families had made to them, that they would be looked after and cared for in the best way that their families knew how. We need to do a lot um, to be able to unpack this. And Philadelphia is starting, first and foremost, with the law that we introduced to ban the practice, um, to mandate that we, we screen children in foster care to see if they're eligible for federal benefits. If they are, we identify a next of kin to apply for and receive those benefits. If they do not have that, then we will set up a separate savings account. But we do have to duke this out with the state and with the feds because we are hampered on all those ends. So I need the public to be outraged right now, to recognize that our young people who are so vulnerable right now are made even more vulnerable by inhumane laws that need to come to an end. And they don't come to an end unless the people say they're immoral, they're wrong, and you know, we can do better than this. So Resolve Philly did their investigation in the years they investigated uh, with 2016 to 2020. Uh, uh, first question, how long has this been going on? It's baked into state law, so our assumption is it's been going on for as long as we know, and that, you know, there are thousands of young people who could have and should have had access to benefits that were rightly due to them and were specified to them. Um, and we're denied. All right. And, and I'm sorry, I'm going to fire off a few questions at you because I, I really want our listeners to understand what's happening here. Okay, so it's baked in the state law. It's been going on as long as we know. Okay, got that part. Second question, how do they rationalize it in state law? Because to me, it seems illegal to deny somebody benefits that are due them. Yeah. I am not going to defend the state law. I do not understand how it could possibly be rationalized. And I would only assume that a state that has often left its children behind has no problem just telling cities like ours, where we have a high percentage of vulnerable young people, that we have to take their benefits before they'll start paying uh, towards the city of Philadelphia and that they they actually mandate that we do this. So we're going to have to figure it out on our end you know, about how we deal with this. But we're going to need to see changes in the state law and in the federal law. 
okay, so your bill, so let's say your bill passes and you do have a number, and I, and I want to acknowledge this, you do have a number uh, of fellow council members that have uh, co-sponsored this bill with you. Uh, council members Bass, Brooks, Gaudier, Green, uh, Johnson, and Thomas, and I want to commend them for co-sponsoring this bill with you. So that is great. We're excited that it looks like council uh, is unifying to make sure that your bill passes. But then what you're now saying to me is it doesn't stop there. We then have to retool state law in order for these benefits to get to the young people. Absolutely. Yeah, well, not necessarily for it to get to the young people, but we want to change the state law and we want to we want federal law to ban this practice. You know, if the federal law bans the practice and all the state laws can change. If I, you know, we right now we are looking into how complicated the state law is, but you know, people want to know why so much harm comes to such vulnerable young children. And what we have to understand is that a whole set of laws and other things have been set up to to keep people down. It doesn't happen by accident. This is very, very purposeful, and it will require purposeful, attentive, um, you know, equally fierce pushback to see the change happen. And what I'm glad about is that our city council body is going to help lead on that, that we're going to, we recognize that municipalities are a place where things start, not where they end. We can catalyze change from the ground up. I've always believed that. And we're going to go into this work with an avenging mission to fix the wrong and to actually show people we have a chance to give young people in foster care. And honestly, I think it should be given towards all young people in foster care. Savings accounts that give them a head start to transition to independence in adulthood, which should be a joyful time in a young person's life, a rite of passage, a place of honor, instead of what it too often is, which is a chaotic break of services that that too often leaves foster care children vulnerable to homelessness, to poverty, um, and to, to other sorts of harms. Um, we want to end that. Uh, we have a chance to do it with money that's due to a, to a percentage of young people, um, but we've, we really have to do uh, so much more, and there's so much more we can do. I mean, this is our responsibility. Um, they, are, they are the wards of the state, and if that's the case, the state needs to guarantee that they are sent into adulthood um, with all the support that the state can give them. So I'm approaching this from the angle of any mother who would want to see this for their child. But it's it's going to take a big push, Reverend Mason. Unfortunately, it's going to take a big push. And um, I'm, I'm proud to be part of a council body that is determined to see this change happen. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We're talking to council member Helen Gim. And, and, and if you did not hear my introduction, I think this issue is important enough that I share it again. Uh, there was an organization uh, called Resolve Philly that revealed that nearly $5 million in money due to youth in foster care, federal benefits money, due to youth in foster care, uh, was directly directed or washed into the city's general fund with no notification at all to the people who this money was 
for or, or, or designated for. Uh, and they covered the years of 2016 to 2020. So as far as we know, because this act is baked into state law, this has been going on for a awful long time. Uh, it's legislation that, is, as Councilmember Gimmins said, it, it, it feels like, it seems like, uh, it's law that's just geared towards keeping people in the same rut, in the same position, holding people okay. down who are already down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, listen, we normally have very calm conversations in the pastor's office, but, but you can hear... I'm I'm livid about this because when mm-hmm. you think about I've got I've got young people in my church that are in foster care and I know the struggles that they go through. I'm not just talking about the struggles of just not being with their family, but there are a lot of expenses, uh, a lot of issues that come uh, with foster care children. Even with the stipend that the guardians receive, there are still things that are not covered, and to hear that there are that are due to them, I know they can't be used for general purposes. I get that. But just to hear that there's more uh, support there for them that could help in their transition uh, from foster care to adulthood, could help maybe with a car payment, with a rent payment, with school notes. Councilmember Gim, you're right. We need to get Philadelphia up in arms about this. Absolutely. I mean, I've always felt that a state does not leave its children behind by accident. And and to be clear, any state that leaves its children behind is going to leave their families behind and the communities out of which they come from. And so that is why I, I fought so hard to have a vision that centers the care and keeping of young people, because I believe it's central to how we care for communities, for families, and for our city. You know, again, these are young people whose parents have passed. They have federal survivor's benefits that they are entitled to or disability benefits, federal disability benefits, um, even if their parents have not passed on, but they are entitled specifically to federal disability benefits. And those benefits are critically important. Young people um, deserve those benefits because they need supports right now. Um, They should have enrichment. They should have access. They should not be denied those kinds of privileges. And um, there is absolutely no reason why states, county governments, or city governments should be accessing those funds when they belong um, and were designated for those individual young people. In the research that we did with one of the families through Resolve Philly, in the 18 months that two young boys were with their guardian, they were entitled to $9,000 in just 18 months. So you can understand then that over a period of years that that can amount to a significant amount of money that would give them a head start in life. And again, that is money that is designated for them, that is owed to them. But it is also money that the state law currently prohibits city governments from setting some of, you know, potentially prohibits us from setting up separate account funds. So we are going to have to change the state law. And um, the federal government does not prohibit this practice. And that absolutely should be changed by this Congress. Um, And I don't think this is a partisan issue one bit. This is a common sense issue that impacts thousands of young people all across the nation. You know, just again, to be clear, this happens everywhere. 
Uh, Philadelphia is the first city to try to legislate. New York State and some other states are looking at changing the practice, but everybody is on the front end of this. And this has been going on for years. So um, this is why, uh, you know, people's voices matter. The foster care youth and their loving family spoke up, spoke out. They drew attention to this. And hopefully we will see some seismic change as a result. But we're certainly going to push on it on the Philadelphia end because there are hundreds of children um, who deserve better. Well, listen, hundreds of children annually. But now we're when we think back, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of young people uh, that have been yeah. impacted by this practice. And, and I guess based on what I'm hearing, those dollars are just lost. And those, again... Because it's been going on forever, there's no way this can be retroactive. I get that. But just think about the overall impact that this practice has had on the lives of people uh, prior to Resolve Philadelphia, I mean, Resolve Philly, bringing this to the forefront. And Councilmember Gim, I want to congratulate you and commend you on leading the charge on this effort. A couple questions as we go forward. Uh, first and foremost, where does the legislation stand now? So we are in discussions with our city agencies. Um, What we think we can do right away is to certainly require the city to screen all youth um, for federal eligibility. You know, my goal ultimately is to set up a separate fund to ensure that young people can access a separate account. We're going to have to see whether state law allows us to do that. I feel very strongly about this, though, and I want to see some action move. So we're going to explore what we can with all of that. We think we can move very quickly, though, in requiring um, screening the benefits, notification to parents and families, guardians and loved ones, um, and, you know, certainly allow any any child that has uh, a guardian um, to be able to access the benefits themselves. It's mostly the youth that don't have um an ability to have somebody set up the account where the city will have to set up the account for them. That's the part where it's getting into potentially into complications with state law. But we're going to need a lot of lawyers on this, so we're exploring that right now. Um, but I feel confident that our city government, I do also feel confident that our city agencies want to see change. Um, our problem mostly is around potentially with the state law, and um, we really could use some help from the federal government just banning the practice altogether because that would change everything. But we'll be in contact with a number of different agencies. Again, it's always been my belief that um, what happens in Philadelphia is not just about fixing things in Philadelphia, but to catalyze change all over. We've shown we can end evictions. We've shown that we can put a nurse in every public school. We've shown that we can and harmful practices, you know, we don't have to live like this. And certainly young, vulnerable children in foster care do not have to accept this. So we're going to do everything that we can at the city level, but I feel good that we have the support of our city council and our city agencies. The problem really is right now the state of Pennsylvania, um, they need to see that law, the laws change, and we'll be, we'll be pushing on it. And, and again, as you said earlier, this is not a partisan issue. This is just doing right. 
by people who Absolutely. are trusting the state to take care of them. Uh, so this, this is not so I'm not even thinking that this is going to come down to party lines. I believe the officials that we've elected are going to do the right thing and, and move this forward. Uh, have, has there been any movement to, to, to meet with uh, officials in Washington? Because you said the federal government could ban the practice. Have you met with or had any communication or is there a plan to get to D.C. and talk to the legislators that could work on this and, and really end this? The answer is yes, that we fully expect that there is, you know, like there are a number of advocates that, um, you know, that the message has gone forward, certainly to them. And I think what we'll do is see how far we can get at the state level and then move, um, move concurrently. You know, at the same time, this is not just a linear thing. Like you go here, fix one thing, then that you have to do it all at once. So we're in dialogue uh, with a number of potential um, allies, both at the federal level and at the state level, um, to move to move this work as fast as we can. I mean, really, what I feel like is the urgency of of action. Um, it's excruciating sometimes to be in government and to watch it move so slowly. But you know, again, we got to push as hard as we can. And the more that people are engaged, the more that families speak out the more powerful we will be. Council Member Helen Gim, uh, I want to thank you for, again, and I think I've said it three times during this interview, but I really do appreciate you spearheading this effort. This is this is really shocking. Uh, and I'm going to ask, if you will, as you continue to move this process forward, that you come back and update our listeners on this matter, because I, I can't imagine uh, that somebody, people of good conscience, hear this and aren't outraged. So we're going to ask if you could just to keep us updated and then also let our listeners know how they can get engaged because at the end of the day, we're the ones that put folk in office. So let us know what we need to do to make sure that this injustice is rectified. That is exactly right. And I would be proud to do that. And thank you so much, Reverend Mason. I know that you know, the pastor's office is a place of healing, but, you know, you need uh, you need justice to heal. So I always know that when we're on your show that we can get both. Um, we can talk about what it means um, to seek justice in order to heal. Um, but, you know, again, I came in with a mission to do right by, by young people, their families who love them, and the communities out of which they came. And I am really grateful for uh, families um, who have stepped forward, um, who've been bravely telling uh, what they believe to be a wrong that must be fixed. And they're, you know, those loving parents um, who have taken, who have become guardians of, of their children, who they now call their own. Um, they're the ones that are really driving this mission for us. And, you know, we just hold them really close in our hearts and um, have enormous gratitude. Um, so, Thank you. And if there are any listeners who are out there um, who want to share their stories, please reach out to our office. Um, you can reach out to us at 215-686-3420. That's 215-686-3420. Um, we're, we'll be at your beck and call. And, you know, just again, thank you so much, Reverend Mason. No problem. But before we let you go, and I'm going to ask both of our guests this question today. Uh, history was made on Thursday uh, when the Senate took a vote of 53 to 47 to confirm the first black woman on the Supreme Court. 
Katanji Brown Jackson. Now, I know we didn't bring you in to discuss this, but I do have to ask, how did you feel when that vote count came out and, and she was confirmed to be the next justice on the Supreme Court? I mean, I think like many women and women of color all over the country, it was like a moment of both joy and pride, of course, but, you know, a moment in which, you know, it felt like a a Supreme Court that felt so deeply polarized. And to be clear, her confirmation was also deeply polarized in many ways. We were outraged by by the questions that we heard, the unsubstantiated nuances and allusions and, you know, some of them quite appalling and sickening. But then, you know, to remember that she carries the dreams, the hopes of so many who cheered for her, who look at their own children and say that you you can be her, who believe that maybe sometimes in a time of great inhumanity and injustice, that there can be a moment where there's a shining light. And Katanji Brown Jackson is, of course, the first black woman to become a Supreme Court justice on the United States Supreme Court. But she is first and foremost a mother, a scholar, a mentor, a mentee, you know, and she embodies all of that. She brings all of her experiences in with her. And I firmly believe that she is truly walking in the footsteps of history and that she will bring others with her. But, you know, it is a hard fought battle. And it makes us clear-eyed that more than ever for our daughters, our young girls, and our youth in particular, that we have to fight for them every step of the way. You know, in order for Katanji Brown Jackson to have faced what she faced, there was a community, a history that surrounded her and gave her the strength to bear in the to bear forth such dignity grace and brilliance in the face and of such almost unimaginable attacks and assaults on her character, on her womanhood, on her blackness, you know, on her scholarly uh, credentials. But it, it made it clear that if we want more Ketanji Brown Jacksons in this world, we must support our young people to have the resilience, the strength, the support of the community around them to understand that this world will never cave to them or be easy, but that they, we need to do so much to bring our young people to a place of resilience, grace, and dignity that Katanji Brown Jackson showed. Her confirmation was an affirmation of a lineage of, you know, women warriors who have tried to build up a vision of, you know, young women and girls working as hard as they can, um, pushing forward with people that who love them, surrounding them and telling them, you'll be there. We'll all be there with you one day. Very well said, Councilmember Gim, and thank you for your thoughts on this historic moment uh, in the life of our country. Councilmember Helen Gim, thank you for joining us in the pastor's office, and we'll be talking to you again real, real soon. Thank you so much, Reverend Mason. Take care. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages.
Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. And I again want to thank council member Helen Gim for joining us and, and really bringing light to a subject uh, that we need to learn more about and we need to engage in. We need to figure out why our foster children are not receiving the benefits that are due to them. So again, I thank her for the work that she's doing. And you best believe uh, we're going to be following up on this story as time goes by. But let's turn to a brighter topic. Let's turn to a more colorful topic. One of the things we love to do here in the pastor's office is we like to share with you upcoming events in the Philadelphia area. And and let's be real. Let's be clear here. After almost two and a half years of a pandemic, of a worldwide pandemic, don't you want to get outside this summer? Don't you want to possibly experience some things that you've never experienced before? Uh, I, I know I am raising my hand right now because there are going to be some things uh, that I take part in this summer that I never thought I would. I'm going deep sea fishing this summer, y'all. Deep sea fishing. I've never done it. But guess what? Because I've been in a pandemic for two and a half years, I'm going to do something that I never did before. I'm going hiking. I'm going to go hiking out in the wilderness. Now, I love Phoenix. I love Arizona. But I don't necessarily love all of the wild creatures uh, that are out there. But guess what? I've been inside for two and a half years. I'm going hiking out west this summer. Going to do it. Going to do it. We got to do some things we haven't done before. Stop taking life for granted. Live every, every moment like it's your last moment. That being said, I want to bring somebody into the pastor's office who's going to tell you about an event that's coming up in June. Did you know that Philadelphia has a flower show? No, no, I'm serious. 15 acres of flowers. Now, you might say to yourself, that's something that I might not normally do, but what did I just tell you? After a two-and-a-half-year pandemic, do something out of the ordinary. Let's bring into the pastor's office our good friend, Mr. Sam Lemhenny. Uh, he is the chief of shows and events with the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Mr. Lemhenny, welcome into the pastor's office. Thank you so much for having me, Reverend Mason. I really appreciate it. I hope people get out to do some things differently, and the Philadelphia Flower Show is definitely one of them. It's been inside for almost 200 years here in philadelphia and now that we're outside at fdr park in south philly we uh we're, we're looking forward to making this uh, a wonderful and beautiful show again this year now you've got to be excited as the chair uh, of these events you've got to be excited that it looks like we're returning to some sense of normalcy i gotta imagine the pandemic affected the flower show over the last couple of years Absolutely, Robert. It was uh, last year was was a hard road to to produce that show last year. We did did do it outside at FDR Park last year because we had to be outside. We couldn't be inside. Um, and this year, now that we we are more normal and 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 a lot of the restrictions have been lifted. Last year, two days before the event opened, that most of the restrictions were lifted. So was hard to plan around that and we were sort of hitting a moving goalpost and now now that we've been able to really put our creative hats on and and think about the outdoor location and really create some of these 
um, amazing engagements and, and interaction activities. And we're actually going to have a mini music festival at the Flower Show this year. We're, we're really excited about how we are going to bring FDR Park to life with the Flower Show this year. June 11th to the 19th are the dates this year. June 11th to the 19th at FDR Park outside for the second time in 200 years. Mr. Lemhenny, tell us about some of the other great things that are going to be going on at the Flower Show. Yeah, so the theme this year is in full bloom. We do a different theme every year. So in full bloom really is a promise to the visitor that there is going to be flowers at this flower show. It's a flower show, so there has to be flowers. And so that, that promise is, is definitely coming, and you will see sea of flowers when you walk through FDR Park. The other part is a little bit deeper meaning that goes to the mission of the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, and it really is about the health and well-being of individuals and how in full bloom, as gardeners, we know when you say something is in full bloom, whether it's a plant, your garden, you know that it is in good health. And uh, so many people turn to plants, flowers, gardening, um, to, to help them through the pandemic and, and help them through this stressful time and this unique time, um, that we want to celebrate that. And our designers and our exhibitors are going to be bringing to life how, how plants and flowers can have an impact on your life every day, help in, improve your health and well-being. And this is something that we put out there into the city every single day with all of our amazing programs with our community gardens, our tree tenders, our garden tenders, our land care program, um, of all the things that we do great in this city, um, and help to improve this city. This this theme really embraces that and will be brought to life by all of our designers. And we have designers coming from this year. We have international designers that we weren't able to have last year because nobody could travel. This year we are going to have a few folks internationally, and we have a lot of great uh, folks. We have more women designers this year than we've ever had before, um, and uh, we're, we're excited to, to, to really have uh, have them bring this theme to life. All right. Now, I, I got to admit, I, I, other than planting some some trees and plants when I had to take certain classes in college, uh, I, I will tell you, this is not my wheelhouse, but I'm interested. So so please, uh, you know, the teacher always used to say in class, there are no dumb questions. So so treat me like I'm in class right now. So now it's, it's 15 acres, right? 15 yeah. acres. Are we planting all of these flowers or do designers come and just they're, they're ready made? You just have to kind of place them in the areas designated no that's a really good question and because we're outside we're in the grass we're in in the, the soil so we actually can plant these plants in in the soil um and and in the ground and then we restore it afterwards the the fdr park is is and justin de Baradinas down there who's a great host for us and that whole team and the friends of fdr are amazing uh hosts for us and allow us to do a lot of things we we're, because we're the part of the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, we're, we are able to get away with a little bit more than of digging some dirt and digging some grass up because we can replace it and, and put it back to the way it was and actually make it look a little bit better than 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 where and help to improve the park. Over 19,000 plants last year that were in the flower show and 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 produced the show uh, were donated to FDR Park as well as about 30, 40 different other organizations around town. Um, so that we can bring make this town and, and the city as beautiful as, as possible. But yeah, we are planting. Um, the plants typically are last year looked actually better in the ground last year than they did uh, at the beginning of the show than they did at the end of the show. So we're we're excited about this and the outdoor location. And we're, we've got some great food and beverage, and we've got great music. We have a little music, music mini music festival that we never have done before at the show. So some really great things. We have a great kids garden. 
um, bringing to life our butterflies live with a kid's cocoon and, and really sort of how, you know, the butterfly grows its wings and then spreads its wings and it comes out of the cocoon. We want the kids to do the same thing with gardening um, at the flower show this year. So lots of great new, new elements to the show that we've never had before. Now, now, before we tell our listeners how they can get tickets and how they can find out more information, just give us a little bit of information about the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, a long-standing organization here in Pennsylvania. But for our listeners that want more information, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, um, the Flower Show and the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society has been around for almost 200 years here in Philadelphia. And we've always known the importance and the impact that plants and gardening can have on, on folks' lives. Um, the programs that we, we produce throughout the, the year, um, the flower show is a big fundraiser for that. So when you buy your tickets to the flower show, the, the dollars are going back into the city and back into the programs. We, we help to organize and coordinate and, and support a lot of community gardens around the, the city. Um, we also have a group of tree tenders that we help folks to plant street trees in their neighborhoods. Um, we also take care of a lot of the gardens and help maintain and, and design a lot of the gardens along the parkway, the sports complex, the Navy Yard. These are some, some of the projects we work on. And then we have a land care program that is um, Keith Green is an amazing individual that works for us to help take vacant lots and uh, turn them into nice green spaces to help reduce crime in different areas and, and to help uh, support those neighborhoods. I'm actually putting people to work, too. He has a Roots to Reentry program that we help folks who uh, are down um, and need skills and job training and uh, in, in horticulture and help them find find work in the horticulture industry. And he does a great job with, with designing and developing that, that, that curriculum and amazing, amazing work and impact that he has. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. Uh, we are talking with Mr. Sam Lemhenny, uh, who is the chief of shows and events for the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. You know what? You perked up my ears uh, because one of the things you shared that the Horticultural Society does is create green spaces as an avenue towards reducing violence in the city. It, considering what we're going through in Philadelphia right now, uh, record level murders, shootings, violence. Tell us just a little bit more about that. Yeah, that, that's a program that is, you know, it, it, it needs to be bigger. The city has embraced this program, the land care program, and, and funds it well. But as you said, it, the more green space that we have, um, it really does reduce crime. We've done surveys. We've done surveys with the University of Pennsylvania um, and they've proven that with the studies that uh, that green space does reduce crime in those areas. And, you know, even planting trees in neighborhoods. And, and, and we always like to say, too, you know, you can plant a window box in the city. And, and that might be something that you enjoy when you walk into your, your house um, every day. Um, but it also impacts the people that walk by your neighborhood and walk by that window box. And so plants and flowers not only help to improve the life um, and, and your health and well-being of, of individuals that, that see those plants, that plant those plants, but it's also everybody that walks by it and enjoys it. And that's the, the theory around and, and what we've proven with these, this land care program of taking vacant lots that are strewn, you know, trash littered and, and, and really don't look great and turning them into nice green spaces with a nice green lawn, some great trees. Um, and really just improving the neighborhood. And it does really reduce the, the amount of crime that's in that area. And uh, um, it, it's really some of the important work that we do. And the Philadelphia Flower Show 
funds and helps fund some of that. So it's a, it's a really great connection. Love it. Absolutely love it. The Philadelphia Flower Show, June 11th through the 19th at the Franklin Delano Roosevelt Park in Philadelphia. Uh, Sam Lemheny, do me a favor. Tell our listeners about the various packages you have and how they can get engaged. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the show dates are June 11th to the 19th. Um, you can get all the information, all the tickets. You can buy tickets right online. PHSonline.org is the, is the best place and all the information. You can go buy your tickets there. You can actually give us your email and we'll send you updates as they come and as things are confirmed and, and we can give you lots of special information. But another great way to, to participate is to join PHS and you can help support all these programs that we talked about just recently. Um, uh, uh, to help us as a member, you can help support these programs as well and be involved with us all year round. You get great programs. You're helping to support the different programs. And in certain levels, you can actually get flower show tickets as well. So great ways to, 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 to get involved with the Horticultural Society. Um, and phsonline.org is the place to do it. Sam Lemhenny. Thank you so much for joining us, and I actually want to have a continuing conversation with you about the Green Space Initiative. Uh, our offices are located in the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia, and, and yep. we need to work together to do something over here. So please know that Pastor Mason's going to be in touch. But thank you for the information on the Flower Show, and we're going to be out there to enjoy it with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Reverend, and we will. Uh, we look forward to talking to you more, and I know uh, our folks would love to talk to you more about some of the great programs we do. So thank you so much for having us on, and look forward to seeing you at the Flower Show. Take a 